Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have a jam-packed show for all of you listeners today as I am joined by Zoo Tennis Blog founder and the GOAT, Colette Lewis, to talk about her experience on the grounds at the 125K event held last week in Midland. We got to chat about eventual champion Madison Brangle's run to the title. We got to talk about a resurgent performance from former UCLA. Standout Robin Anderson. We also talked about the young Americans, Katie McNally, Katrina Scott, and others who found themselves having success in Midland. Of course, that wasn't the only storyline from last week. Had to hear Colette's thoughts on this past weekend's ITA National Fall Championships. We talk about Aaron Cayetano's run to the title, talk August Holmgren, talk about the double success, and so much more. And then we had to get into Stefan Kozlov's run in Charlottesville. I would argue the reason I I am such a big Kozlov fan is because I grew up reading Colette, and we joke about it. Colette's now been covering Stefan for about 15 years. Crazy to think, but yeah, we've had about a decade now of Kozlov, and certainly has felt like a resurgent fall from him as he's taken the Columbus Challenger title, the Charlottesville Challenger title, and made the Vegas Challenger final. We talked about what's working so well for him, where he goes from here. Is Stefan Kozlov back? Perhaps no person is better suited to answer that question then collide we talk about all of that and so much more it is a fantastic show i know all of you listeners are going to enjoy of course quick plugs daily recaps mini break podcast challenger recap listen to monday's episode here on this feed and then of course hop over to our cracked interviews podcast where you can hear my conversation with former ohio state all-american top 400 pro in singles and doubles now volunteer assistant at kentucky peter Cobelt got to nerd out on that one i promise if you enjoy this conversation with Colette, you will enjoy my conversation with Peter Cobelt. All of that content available on our website, crackrackets.com. But without further ado, let's get to it. The greatest of all time, Colette Lewis. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, the world's biggest proponent of no-ad scoring. Of course, she likes nothing more than watching a junior event on a live stream, not in person. And of course, the greatest (laughs) of all time. You know her as Colette Lewis. Colette, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you, and it's just like the perfect weekend to have you, and just an order of operation for all of you listeners. We're going Midland first because, of course, Collect got the chance to be there in person and reading 
I, I'm trying to think of like the most notable winner in Midland who you wrote about who I was like, I'm locked in on. It honestly might have been your pro Jamie Loeb takes where I'm just like forever pro Jamie Loeb because I think she had some success there early in the early 2010s. And I was like, oh, OK, she's going to be really good. Colette's given her the stamp of approval. Uh, but we got to get to Midland. We got to get to the ITAs. We got to get to the fall nationals as well. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm just curious in general, American men's tennis right now. It just feels like it's locked and loaded, and it's all of the guys, you know, again, Kozlov, Tiafo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on the women's side as well, you've got the Ann Lee resurgence. Katie McNally's played really down well down the home stretch uh, also. And honestly, Katie Volleynets keeps losing in three sets, but she's playing really, really well, I think, this season. And you got to see Katrina Scott in person. It just feels like the 2020s across the board is going to be a fun time for American tennis. Do you have those vibes as well? Again, as we reach the end of this season, that's just that's what I keep thinking about as I look at all these events. Yeah, and I I don't want to be uh, the glass um, half empty person, but <laughs> geez, it's about time. You know? <laughs> um, 23, 24 years old. I, I think that we were we were hoping that it might come a little bit quicker, especially when we saw uh, Zarev and and Sitsipas and those guys do it faster you know just just seem to make that jump um of course center and you know all the other ones that are younger alcaraz now so i but it is great to see and and i don't want to you know rain on any parades there because um taylor fritz has been playing amazing tennis and you know those of us who have loved his game you know from age 15 or whatever is it's just really really great to see him putting it together and and uh yeah it it is really going to be a fun time and then to have those guys like like brooksby and and like nakashima and and like uh korda down there below them younger than them and starting to to make that push as well yeah it just looks really good and and there's no reason to think that the that the american women are are going to go anywhere um i mean they've been pretty dominant throughout the world um just in sheer numbers in top 100 and that sort of thing so i i certainly uh, don't see any reason you know, to look at what's happening now and say that that well's going to run dry. I just don't think so. Every six weeks or so, I'm just like reminded of a different American where it's just like, or, you know, every, it just feels like, one, again, they're all putting together these ridiculous results. And it's just like one week it's Ann Lee, who I'm fully on the bandwagon. I can't explain, like, it's been the fall of Ann Lee for me. And so just the racket speed, the quickness, et cetera, et cetera, it was an injury that slowed her down this year. But you're right, it's Tiafo, it's Fritz, it's. You know, Kozlov, it's Wolf coming back as well. Right. You know, you had, I think for the first time ever, and I've been texting with our mutual friend Jonathan Kelly, and this is a stat via him. He's like, has there ever been an event anywhere around the world where all four players born in the same birth year are all representing the same country? That's what we had at the Vegas Challenger. Kovacevic, Mo, Wolf, Kozlov, all Americans, all 1998s. 23 is not old. But it's right. also, I just think, generationally, with all due respect to the guys who came in between, and Kudla's great, Sock's great, you know, Stevie's had a great career as well, but there wasn't the depth in that generation to keep pushing 
the Isners and the queries of the world. And I just think now across the board, whether you still have guys like Sock, like Kudla, like Garon playing really good tennis, then the Fritz, Tiafo, Kozlov, Paul, you know, etc. generation, and then the young guys as well. That's where it's so exciting is it's just like – and for the women, obviously, you throw in Brady and Pagula and obviously Madison Keys isn't old by any stretch of the imagination. Sloan Stevens isn't 30 yet as well. It's the depths in generation. Is is the pivot here that the national campus pro- – not the national campus project but you know uh, then the idea of the national – or in Florida, bring them all down to one location. Did it work? Like, all of a sudden, is the pivot here that it worked, Colette? Because it's working right now. No. no that's <laughs> not the takeaway. <laughs> um, I, and I, I think the USDA would be the first one to say that, that, yeah. that it was just, um, you know, they wanted to have the resources available. They wanted to make sure everybody knew that they, that they were welcome and could use them. But, you know, stay where you're comfortable. We'll try and help you wherever you, you want, it, want to get better. So I, I do think that, that the pivot to that philosophy has had something to do with it that they they haven't alienated people and then and yet when somebody needs or feels that they need to be down there um you know they're they're open to that as well so it, it it's good that they're flexible now i think history might look back and say brian boland's tenure was the most successful in usta history colette i think we're all gonna have to pivot here uh, no but again with all that said that sets the scene for the 125 in midland which is where i want to start in terms of recapping last week's action and of course this is something you and i have talked about before but the opportunity to see players in person it's just immensely valuable particularly over the past 16 18 months what we've learned is anyone can look good on a stream you know a serve is going a well-placed serve you don't know if it's 110 miles per hour or 125 miles per hour on a on a computer screen because it just looks like what it looks like meanwhile in person you can see the movements the fluidity the comfort level how nice was it to, for you to be back in person and just again be on the grounds be able to talk to so many of these players yeah, it, it was really great, and and Midland is is a, just a tremendous venue because you are so close to the players. I mean, I was sitting, you know, next to the coaches. I mean, within everybody had to wear masks indoors, and so you know that wasn't really really you know an issue they wanted to make sure that people wore masks because they couldn't do the social distancing and actually that's always been um just the intimacy of the place has always been kind of one of the selling points of midland so yeah that was really nice i mean i was so close that i could hear people you know breathing hard after you know a long rally you know you could hear what they were saying to themselves and and it it was really tremendous to see that and and as i said i think when i when we had kalamazoo here um as well you know just to hear the sound of, of of a few players um when the ball hits the racket um, it, 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 yeah, you just can't get that watching streams. I mean, I'm sorry, Alex. I know you devoted the last <laughs> four days of your life to watching streams, but uh, and commenting on them, which we all really appreciated. But 
I think you will, you would uh, agree that it's much, much better to actually be there. Oh, no doubt. And for the record, I read your day two recap. And at the end of the ITA paragraph, it said commentary provided by Alex Gruskin. Did I cry? I'm not going to say it was because <laughs> I, uh, tears of joy might have just been I was worn down. But I was very excited <laughs> to see that, of course. Um, oh, Midland. So the Dow Tennis Center is gorgeous. Let's be clear. And it's what, 16 yes. outdoor courts and or maybe more and plenty of indoors i want to say 30 maybe more that's <laughs> well, maybe not but yeah, or something and, like and they you know they have plenty of practice courts they have a lot of uh, of them dedicated to stands and a lot more dedicated to hospitality so it's it's really even hard to tell they they only played on three courts this year which was was great i mean because you were you could always be right there um and you uh, two of them are right next to each other so you could watch two matches at once with no problem at all so it was really great um i i really enjoyed being there and um the the weather was terrific and i think that that's one of the big differences in moving it from from january february end of end of january first of february to um, November, and I understand that's going to be at least two more years in no in November. This wasn't a one-off. It's going to be two more years where they're going to have it in November. Is that that getting there is not that difficult? Um, before, if people were flying into Detroit and driving, that can be you know an hour, an hour and a half of of white knuckles in the, in <laughs> the worst. I mean that weekend and the weekend after are probably oh, yeah. the biggest uh, blizzard weekends that we are ever going to have in Michigan. So many a time I've waited till the last minute to see when I was going to go up there, what days I wanted to be there, just because. So, uh, could we get up there before you know the next blizzard comes? And yeah, all the players who have been there before talk about how cold and nasty it is. So yeah, it's great that November is much. I mean, we had a few snowflakes. I'll say that, but I mean, it was never in the in the category where it was going to disrupt anybody's travel plans, and that is a good thing. Yeah, well, all this is a testament to why Michigan high school tennis players are tougher. Division One states held there every year uh, for the men now. That's third week of October. It's very, very cold. It builds character. And, yes, I'm salty, so I have to bring it up. I'm going to take you back, Colette, because I know you love when I do this to you. 2012. <laughs> Midland Dow Power Quad was what it was called because it was the three best teams in the state. It was Midland Dow who, at the time, early 2010s, was running the table. We can talk Juan Guerra, Santi Guerra. I'm happy to go through them with you. Um, <laughs> but it was them. It was Ann Arbor Huron, ourselves, Detroit Country Day, and then Port Huron North who just was the whipping boy. Shout out to Port Huron North. Poor squad <laughs> comes up there, goes oh for 24 in the eight flights. And my senior year – Team went undefeated. Shout out to us. 39 points at States. Shout out to us. Um, sorry. Um, but uh, we, my partner and I lost one match at one doubles that season. One match. And it happened to be at the Midland Dow Power Quad, two Midland, four and five on my 17th birthday, October 6, oh. 2012. That's why it sticks with me. That's why I'm always <laughs> salty about that place. And my partner got into it because he just was not like – I mean – I don't know if you can imagine. I'm not the easiest to play with sometimes. And I was just like, come on, man. Like, what's going on here? 
And then that night, because it was my birthday, we may have gone out, and we had this big heart-to-heart later on in the evening. He was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you're right. I just didn't have it today. It was just like – it was really – it was just – so that's what Midland evokes to me. And yeah, you're right. The environment – it's a tennis community is what I'm trying to say. And so they embrace this event. You can draw a line directly from Angelina Kalina's success in 2020 perhaps to the success she's having now on the pro tour. But – You know, again, you look at this year's field, what perhaps make this event a bonus degree of intrigue is that it's now part of the Australian Open wildcard series. And that's back in our lives. And that's where we can begin discussing these results. Madison Brangle's not going to need the wild card. Now, she probably would have won it at this point. You look at what she's done over the past few months. She wins the ADK in Macon, uh, quarterfinals in Tyler, wins the event here. I know she's now up to number 57 in the rankings, so she doesn't need a wild card. But let's just start with Brankel. Not someone who screams indoor tennis. She was dominant all week long. Yeah, she played I, – I, yeah, she played Madison Brankel tennis. And yeah. she has had success, and she plays that tournament. I mean, it's not one like she drops in on. I mean, she's a regular. And you always think, well, maybe she's going to get high enough in the rankings where – it's not necessary, but I don't really think that that plays much of a role. I wouldn't be surprised if she's top 50 next year and comes back just because it's like, that's what I do. I go to Midland <laughs> and I play and, you know, she's won it twice now. So, um, yeah, I, I think she likes it there. And I, I, you know, she does play well there. There, there's no question about it. Maybe, um, yeah, I can't explain it either. You're right. There's nothing about her game that says, oh, she should be great on this surface. But, you know, she has been. So, um, yeah, she really um, – she did it. She did a very good job. I mean, she had some easy – like she won love and love in the quarterfinals, um, which was weird because that's not – let's face it, that's not a Brangle score. She's not going to haggle people, you know. But um, – and then she went – goes two tiebreakers – with Danielle Lau in the semis and with Lau still, you know, in the running for the Australian Open wild card. So that was, that match was, you know, pretty amazing. So yeah, she's, and then, you know, she did what she had to do yesterday in beating Anderson. So that was a a great tournament for Madison. And uh, yeah, she's, she's hanging in there. I mean, gosh, is she going to be like, Top thirty. I mean, <laughs> I know it's I, it, at this at this stage. Who knows? It's crazy to think, and you look from Madison Brangle again, thirty-one years old. Like when you think of all of the American talents, respectfully, she does not come up on the short list, and yet, yeah, you look at the rankings right now. You know, Pagula and Brady are a little bit ahead of her. Kennan, obviously, a little bit ahead of her. Goff, a little bit ahead of her. Collins, but like after those five, you know. Anisimova is not firmly, you know, Anisimova's fallen off from a ranking standpoint. McNally hasn't made the big breakthrough, perhaps, we've all been waiting for. Ann Lee's mm-hmm. coming, Claire Lou's yeah. coming, and you think about all of these generations, even down to Katrina Scott and, you know, what Ashlyn Kruger has done over the past year or so as well. But yeah, Madison Brangle, top 60. Like, what, what you can, you're right. It's like, ah, I could play the 125K or. I could go play whatever I want because I'm top 60 in the world. And just at age 31, that's where you want to be regardless of anything else. You want to be able to set your own schedule. And she's done that. And you're right, just at the physicality she still plays with, it, it, it's super, super impressive. That said, 
I think the story has to probably be Robin Anderson, right? You look for Anderson, yeah. the former UCLA number one player in the country, I believe she reached uh, at one uh, during one season, I, right? She was number one in the country. I think oh yeah, I'm sure she was. Uh, she she won the indoor. She made the indoor final the the year uh, Loeb beat her the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she won the All American. So yeah, no, she was. She was one of the very best. Exactly. Um, And she's, uh, you know, I I believe this is the first 125K final of her career. And it's worth mentioning she's now a two-time finalist in Midland. She made the final back in 2016, was knocked out by Naomi Brady. But, you know, 28 years old. I don't want to say she had fallen off from a results standpoint, but certainly this was not the sort of result you would have expected given, you know, this year her other two finals came at the 25K level and there was a lot of qualifying action for her. She comes through and makes the final here. What was clicking for her this week? Yeah, I I didn't see a ton of her her matches. I saw one of them when I was there um, when she beat um, Maria, which was a very good win, because um, Maria had had won, has is a two time champion there. She's she's getting older and she hasn't had the results lately, but uh, she's very very comfortable in Midland. She had her whole family there, you know, the two little ones, and and um, it was just you know, Robin was just no. I think I can do this, and and she did. And you know, there were a lot of backhand slices in that match. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, and. Um, Robin got the best of her. So that was a good win. And then I watched some of her match with Katie McNally and Katie didn't play particularly well after the first four games, Uh, but Robin was just hitting with huge, just great pace and depth. And Katie was, she was having a little trouble serving. So she wasn't really doing her plus ones and, and, you know, getting in the position she wanted to be in, but Robin was just constantly pressuring her and keeping her back and everything. So that was to me a very impressive win because obviously Katie is totally comfortable indoors and has won Midland and, you know, was, it was back from injury. So it was feeling pretty good. So um, that was really impressive to, to see Robin do that mm-hmm. and now and robin robin is a good indoor player i mean she grew up in in new jersey and mm-hmm. and she's fast and you know she just has what you need to be a good indoor player and always has been so um i'm not surprised to see her in the final um i i i maybe she wasn't having the the greatest year but i mean if you've ever seen her play you you know that once in a while, you know, it's going to happen. She needs to now try and be more consistent to get into the top 100. But um, that that wasn't a, a huge surprise to me to see her in the final. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it, national indoor final for her individually back in the day. And, you know, you look for 5-12 in 2020, now 28-20 and 20 overall here uh, on the season. Definitely a nice bounce back for her. She's back into the top 230 and she clinches the U.S. Open wildcard now, right? With this, with the final? I, I think so. I'm still waiting for that email from the USDA, which they promised me is coming. But yeah, I did the math and, I, and there's no, yeah, I, I don't see how she doesn't win it. I don't know what could possibly be the reason. So I'm expecting to hear that soon. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, that's, and with that wild card, she'll get to play the main draw events for, you know, for all the players who come down there, right? Like, will she get – because last year they kind of gave it because of the bubble situation. It was like, okay, we're offering these warm-up events to everyone. If you're in the main draw, you can play it. 
Like, is oh. that going to happen this year? Right? Like, I, I feel like last year because they everyone needed warm-up events, so they were like, sure, you can all play, you know, yeah, but one there was, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there wasn't a wild card, um, yeah, you true. know, so she, she's going to be way outside the rankings, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I, if yeah. I were, yeah, I, I would imagine she'll get into qualies at, at those things. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's just an interesting schedule. Where does she go from a scheduling standpoint from here? I suppose is the interesting thing to watch for right. Robin Anderson, because uh, again, ranking wise two fourteen, you're going to get into slam qualies, but that's, no man's land like 80ks 125ks trying to play the occasional 250 that's just it's a tough spot to be in in the ranking so she's one to watch but all right now we get to geek out on the young americans because with all due respect to daniel lau and you know francesca di lorenzo as well who are exceptional and i think just we know a little bit more about their games at this point let's talk katrina scott first because anytime there's a tweet from colette lewis that says katrina scott is striking the ball extraordinarily well I take notice of it. And, of course, Katrina is someone who has been in the top junior conversation for the past, you know, yeah. two, three seasons. And you look uh, for Katrina now here. She's up to a number 415 in the rankings, reached a career high, top 350 uh, earlier this season. You look at what she was able to do last year, uh, you know, ends up winning her first-round match at the U.S. Open before falling in three to Anisimova. So we, we got a taste of the 17-year-old in 2020 uh, but, of course, she's taking a little bit of a different path than some of the others, and I know she's yeah. part of Team David Cass, and uh, right. obviously, uh, you know, they've had tons of success down there. Just look at the players he's producing right uh, right uh, over these past few years. What do you think of her game, where she's at? Obviously, we didn't really get to see her in San Diego, so uh, curious what you thought about her performance here. Yeah, she she played in the ma- – the, ma- the best match I saw quality-wise was, was – her win over Madison four and four win over Madison Inglis of um, Australia, who's was the number three seed and uh, Katrina just served better. And I mean, there are backhands and then there is Katrina Scott's backhand. I mean, it's just crazy good. And it's, you know, you just wait for her to, to line it up and, and just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing, uh, two-handed, of course, um, mm-hmm. and just powerful and um, just, uh, uh, it's a great shot. And um, she was able to take advantage of that. I, I know a lot of people are going to try find try to find ways to keep her on her forehand, which has always been, you know, less lethal. But um, she really impressed me. And, you know, then she beat Catherine Harrison, who was playing very well, uh, got, getting through qualities and winning around uh, three and one. And again, um, Catherine is also, you know, a great ball striker, two hands on both sides and can really and she's added some variety in her game, which she was she was sure to tell me when we did our interview. It's like it's not like I used to be, you know, yeah. I, when I would just bash the ball. I can actually do some other things now. And I'm like, I know, I saw, I was there. I I believe you. But um to to beat her three and one two was, was great. And so I did not I thought she and Robin would have, you know, a knockdown drag out and it turned out Robin was just playing too well, I guess. I didn't see any of that match. It was two and two for Anderson. But I was very impressed with Katrina Scott. That's her second 
quarter at a 125. Um, there's no question that she belongs playing, you know, in the, with the top 200 players. So, um, you know, again, she's 17, she's got all the time in the world. Um, and you know, is she scheduled well, um, there's no, and stays healthy. There's no reason she can't be top 100 soon. Mm-hmm. Five of her last six losses have been in three sets. Volney Nets in three, Magdalena Freak in three, Jamie Loeb in three. Uh, you know, you can go even further back in that. I think it's uh, six, yeah, six of the last eight or seven of the last nine, excuse me, have been three set losses. So yes, a 12 and 16 record in 2021 doesn't look particularly uh, appetizing. But again, she's been very close. There are those streaks. It feels like for Katrina Scott and you know, again, I, I think if you've watched her play, this isn't a novel thought, but there are streaks of 10 to 15 minutes right now in every match where she, I don't want to say untouchable, but where you see the top 100 talent, very evident. And she's got the weapons to just hit any opponent off the court. She's got that sort of firepower, particularly on the backhand wing. And you're right, when she's landing the serve, it just allows her to play front foot tennis. And she's a completely different player. You know, at the same time, you could say that about Katie McNally and we've seen some of the lumps McNally has taken early on in her pro career in the time the conditions are right she plays extraordinarily well and when she's clicking and feeling confident she's a top 100 player right now at the same time obviously finding that consistency is the thing young players struggle with most and so that I'm curious what you thought of plans b and c for her about those other things Katrina Scott has been developing you know did you see elements of them in Midland to where if the power tennis isn't working she's got some options to for her right now yeah I I think she's working on that I think I think you can tell that but um yeah um I think it's just really a matter of getting more experience at that level and and just seeing you know what what can work and against who it can work so um yeah i i think again i think she knows what her strengths are and yet knows that they probably still need to be you know enhanced uh, by some other options so yeah no we'll see and again still 17 years old right around that top 400 has she officially turned pro is she she's not going to college right i think she has officially turned pro Yes, she has. Yeah, and so she's nine. Yeah, I think with top notch, right? She's yeah. got to be. Yeah, she's part of the crew. Yeah, and it's all starting to come back here again. I'm I'm trying to shuffle between levels, but last player I want to ask you about is who I just mentioned earlier, Katie McNally, who you know into the semifinals here, as you mentioned, coming off of injury, she made quarterfinals in uh, Tyler as well, and you know played a really good match I thought in Cleveland against Kasakina in the round of sixteen. How healthy is Katie feeling? How was her level this week in Midland? Uh, she she sounded good. I, I when I talked to her at the All Access, um, she was she was really you could tell she was really happy to be back. Maybe a little bummed that the season was ending when it was, just because um, you know she she had not been healthy since since the U.S. Open, so she missed a lot of opportunities there. You know this fall. Um, but she looked good, um, you know, again, wh- when her serve isn't, isn't going in, though, when she's double faulting, that just seems to be, you know, that somehow just infects her whole um, game. And, and she just can't do the things that she, you know, feels like she, she can, she's capable of. And, and that's, 
that was probably the biggest downfall of what I saw from her. But I I was really impressed with with just how upbeat she was. And, and you know, she wants to play doubles. Um, obviously, she's one of the best doubles players in the world. Um, but she also is, is a long way from giving up. I mean, she's going to be 20, like in 10 days or something. So, you know, she's a long, long ways from having to make a, any kind of choice like that. But um, again, when she's, you know, she may not be playing with Coco as much because Coco is, you know, where she is in the rankings and, and Katie's not. So I'm sure she was very disappointed that uh, she didn't, you know, get the wild card. So, um, you know, and again, just didn't have enough opportunities this fall to really go after it. But she she did seem in a very good place mentally. So um, I th- I think she she could be poised for for a nice start to the season. Yeah, I like it. Well, with that said, I am ready because I promised you five oh six. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to violate that promise. Um, <laughs> but uh, any other takeaways from Midland we should be aware of? I mean, obviously, you got the chance to see Brant Meyer was in the main draw, and you know, I believe Ashlyn Kruger was in the main draw as well. Any other big takeaways from the grounds? Uh, Kelly Ava was playing Kelly pretty Ava, well yeah. as well. So yeah, we had it was great that I, I'll end with this. It was fantastic to see the wild cards going to Young American Juniors. Mm. Um, we that never happens, and I want to emphasize never happens. And it, it was awesome. I mean, obviously with Fed, uh, Billie Jean King Cup, there were not a lot of players uh, that wanted a wild card. You know, that were in the top. 100 or whatever um and so they had a lot to give but um i'm really glad that they that they uh, chose young americans and that they that they were rewarded with some wins for those young ladies i am a big fan of kruger i like having to gotten to see some of the san diego but more importantly the u.s open match there was you know when she made her push in the second set there was just there was a 20-minute stretch where you can just see it for Ashlyn Kruger. And with that in mind, I think that's a perfect transition into the ITA All-American because I know something you and I will uh, – All-American, excuse me, the Fall Nationals because I know something uh, you and I will discuss throughout the course of the year. My take I think I'm going to ride with is the upside of Stanford and getting the chance to see Yepa Fanova who ends up winning the consolation final, beating Subash, beating Lisa Czar. We'll get into the main draw finals matches. And it's always nice when I have a tournament where I'm like, oh, nice. I don't have to look at the score sheet to remember the scores. I called that freaking match. So I'm, I'm ready <laughs> for this discussion. I know that's a strange place to start, but I do want to start with the Stanford freshman because, you know, we hadn't gotten to see much of Connie Ma of late. We hadn't got to see much of Yepa Fanova entering this fall dual match season. And now... You know, they compete in the ITA regional final. And Connie Ma gets a super impressive three-set win over Fiona Crawley and a straight-set win over Snow Han and Yepa Fanova again to beat Subash, to beat uh, Lisa Zard. You could see it just the way she when she's on her front foot. You're like, oh, yep, that's a player who's in command who just has that it quality in college tennis. That was one of my big takeaways from the All-American. Let's start there. The Stanford women. I think they're going to be really good this season, Colette. Yeah, I do too. And I was shocked when I saw the newcomer. Um, 
I I have to give them credit. They got Sarah Hamner. They had her at top, and she she won the All American. So you can't really criticize that. <laughs> but there was no Connie Ma on that uh, list. I'm like, what in the world are you thinking? <laughs> also, no Oklahoma State players, and it's like both of them are the two highest ranked. WTA players entering into this as well. It was it was an interesting list. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, gee, I did she not enroll this fall or whatever? <laughs> but no, when she played the regional, she just smoked everybody and and beat Yapafanova one and four or whatever it was in the regional final. And then, yeah, I think maybe she ran out of gas a little bit. She's not, um, you know, she's athletic but she's she's not like a physical specimen she's kind of small uh, i'm not sure small is the right no, it's word senior. i think it's ann lee-esque just you got five six five seven but the quickness the this the twitchiness yeah. it's like they've got the athleticism and the spring on their rackets even if it's not overwhelming size right and but and i haven't seen her in two years and she, you know she's obviously going to have matured physically as well as mentally in that time but um she's just really really good surprisingly good she was on the team um the junior fed cup team at the time now junior billy jean king, king cup with katrina scott and robin montgomery and connie ma was the best player of those three so that you know she doesn't play a lot and she's she was always education first so i don't think you know being a pro tennis player is like the the, the be all and end all for her but she is a very very good player and you know she she's going to do a lot of great things um going forward for stanford and yeah yepifanova was a finalist at a grand slam junior slam um I, yeah, I just think that they are going to be very good, especially with those two players. And they've got some depth now that maybe they didn't quite have last year. So, yeah, I'm I'm very high on Stanford. And you get Michaela Gordon back and just, yeah, yeah. I agree. They're, they're very, very good. But, of course, that buries the lead, which was our championship Sunday. Uh, according to my friend John Parsons, first time in ITA Fall National history, all four matches go three sets. And let's start with the women's singles final as we're on that topic here now. Aaron Cayetano was unbelievable all week long. And just, you know, for her, it started for me in the round of 16 when she was down 5-4 Petra Hewell of Florida State, and she comes back and takes that match in straight sets. And then, you know, again, it was... She was the beneficiary, certainly in the semifinals, as she uh, in the quarterfinals, as Abby Forbes gets upset. So that's a match she doesn't have to play. And then, you know, semifinal, she gets an Alexa Newell, who had played I think six hours of tennis the day before against in her wins over Riley Tran of UNC and Sarah Hamner of South Carolina, who we're going to get to, I promise. But Cayetano's forehand yesterday. I mean, again, th- there were times when it broke down on her. But it was the biggest weapon I saw of maybe any player I saw compete in this women's singles event. And, of course, it's worth noting, no Peyton Stearns, no Emma Navarro, who maybe should have gotten a wild card into the Midland draw with how well she's playing. She wins the yeah. 25K last week in Orlando. Uh, of course, that's notable. No Janice Chen uh, of Pepperdine as well. She's going to be in the mix at the top of college tennis. That said... I don't know where this jump came from for Cayetano. She was good at two singles last year. She wasn't this, and now 
semifinals of the All-American where she lost in three to Newell. She gets the revenge victory, somehow manages to survive that match against Daria Freeman yesterday where, you know, that was maybe the best opening 20 minutes, 25-minute bagel. Oh, it was – that was amazing. It was I'm just like, absurd. This is going to be over in 45 minutes that she keeps playing like that. But um, <laughs> Freeman was smart to just, you know, not panic and just say she can't keep this up. And, and she was right. I guess nobody could have. That was amazing what she did in the first set. Amazing. And just, it was like swinging forehand after swinging forehand and just inside out, inside out to set up the inside in. And then she started ripping backhand winners down the line. And I think it was <laughs> – Five love or five love. I want to say forty thirty, and it was a second serve, and she hit an ace down the tee on a second serve, like just oh, gunned yeah, it. And it was like a forty thirty or a deuce point, and you're like, you don't do that unless you're feeling it. And right. so, like again for Cayetano, even with the fumbling down the home stretch, and I do think that's a testament to uh, Daria Freeman of Princeton, who of course I want to talk about separately. But when you look at USC, yes, Stanford's going to be very good. UCLA still got Forbes and Bolton, which you like as a one-two as much as just about anyone in the country. But, I mean, I'll take Cayetano, Ewing, and I honestly really liked what I saw from Snow Han. And just, I, Allison Swain's got her group now. Like, she has the roster she's looking for for the Trojans, I think, this year. Yeah, I I, I think that they're going to be – I mean, they were already kind of this prize team last year, and I think um, – there's no reason with Han, you know, now coming in to help. I they can be right there for the for the Pac-12. So I mean, you ready for, for sure. this question? Who ends the season ranked higher, USC men or women? <laughs> uh, no prep here for to be for the record. I did not prepare you for this question. I think it's <laughs> it's fascinating because like I know my nine on the men's side where I'm like I'm pretty sure from Florida to TCU and I could name the nine schools but I don't want to give the entire thing away um, but it's like though there are nine schools where I'm like yeah they're top nine after that it gets interesting and USC certainly in the mix uh, but now it's an open assistant job and by the way a, a, like a November opening for the USC assistant you give up head coaching jobs to get that USC assistant job that's one of the best in the nation I mean, I probably lead. Ooh, I don't know. I lead USC women. I'm going to lead USC women. I'm going to make the pick. Although it's close, like both are very, very good. Yeah, I I would probably lean toward the women as well. Um, it just feels like there's more openness, right? Like I don't know how good Virginia is going to be. I don't know how good Duke's going to be, and like Michigan's super, super young. The good men's teams are all really old, really experienced, and all ready to be really good right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. that It could come out very that they finish very close to, I, which hasn't been all that unusual in years past. I mean, they've had some fantastic women's teams as well. There's just, there, there's been a little bit of a lull the last five or six years. But um, yeah, I, they've got a good team now. Um, and I, you mentioned um, where did this come from, from Cayetano. If I could promote uh, Universal Tennis a little bit. She won two of those, uh, 20,000, 20, you know, whatever they're called, their pro things this uh -huh. summer. And not to mention that's, you know, what, $8,000 or whatever it is, you know, to spend on 
on whatever you want to spend it on on your expenses um those that those were good competition to have and and i don't think they're getting enough credit for being for supplying those kind of opportunities and that kind of funding for players like her she's i think she played them all in newport beach she didn't have to go very far and yet she was able to get some really good competition and the round robin part of it makes it um you know much better than than going to a 15k or 25k and and so I think she probably drew a lot of confidence from those titles as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was again excellent all week long and needed ever you know needed to keep swinging, needed to be willing to hit through her mistakes right. in that final against Daria Freeman. But you look for Freeman, you know the only sets she dropped this week were the ones she dropped in the final and for Freeman to get the win over Connie Mon for her to break down and that first set against Arena Contos was an escape said she wins that match seven five six one and just you know she she fought off like seven break points in the course of that first set and it felt like Contos had a million opportunities just kept missing that overhead long or missing that forehand put away wide. I think Freeman does that really well of, you know, again, just putting in that extra ball on the court and, you know, hitting with depth from defensive positions. We saw the moon balls and, you know, the defense she injected into yesterday's match. But I think the obvious comparison, I'm going to float this to someone who might actually be able to be like, oh, yeah, that's a good or not good who can validate me. I see some Katarina Jokic in her. The way they swing on the backhand side, I just I can't help it, Colette. (laughs) <laughs> I I heard you say that. I don't see it, but I, I mean, I've seen so much of Katarina, and I've seen so little of Daria. And yeah. you know, Daria was a great, great um, junior, but I, she didn't play very many Americans, so I didn't see her very often at mm-hmm. at slams and at you know other high level events. So I'm just not as familiar with her game. I mean, I saw Jokic when she was. She was winning the Eddie Her at age 11 or whatever it was. So, you know, <laughs> I know her game. I just I just don't feel like from especially watching on a stream that I know Freeman. <laughs> so <laughs> I am going to reserve judgment on that. But I guess John um, agrees with you. So yeah, uh, you're look, probably I, right. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I ever ask for. Right, um, right. No, it's just it's the backhand and then – I actually think there's a little more fluidity. I don't think she quite has the pace on the forehand wing. Like when Katarina Jokic wants to turn to a forehand, we're either ending the point. Like we're ending the point now. She's either going to go miles long or that ball's going to be hit as a winner. I just think Freeman has those qualities to her. And then just again, the athleticism. And you talk about uh, talked about it and you texted me this earlier uh, when we were chatting on the side. And Princeton's really good. Like, with Freeman, with Brianna Schwetz, with Vicky Hu as well, I would want no part of Princeton on kickoff weekend. And I thought they were sneaky good when we saw them play at the National Indoors in 2020. And just, like, we haven't seen the Ivy League schools in 18 months. For Freeman to not get to play the All-American, because I don't think she was had a ranking to get into uh, qualifying, because there was no qualifying, so she wasn't able uh, to get into the tournament. For her to come into this event as a relatively unknown number two seed, and she was pretty good, obviously, in 2020, but still not, you know, she wasn't even playing number one singles in her lineup to go from there to the number two seed and make the final. What right. a run from Freeman. Like, that's so impressive. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah, I think she's going to be around a lot um, moving forward. Um, yeah, and like you said, Princeton is 
is good and they've been building toward toward this and then getting somebody of her caliber um you know it, it's a little bit different when when you get somebody that has all that experience on the international level that already knows that they belong there um you know you can get some some gems to polish uh, from the United States, of course, and, you know, some really bright girls that other people that really want to play Ivy League tennis. But when you can attract the um, international, you know, top players to your school, um, then it sets a little bit of a different tone for, for the rest of the team. And uh, Princeton's going to be good. They're going to be very good. I agree with you. And, you know, again, for Freeman to win that semifinal match over Arena Contos, who was a quarterfinalist All-American, semifinalist here at the National Fall event, that's a big development for the Buckeyes. If she can go from being the top 40 player she was last year to a top 20, top 15 sort of player, the depth they have, I think that uh, certainly, again, you, you look for that team. They're capable of, if not, you know, winning the Big Ten, making quarterfinal type run NCAAs. Uh, I'm curious on the women's side, any other standout performers? I mean, to get to see Alexa Noel and experience that fight in person, I mean, it was six hours of Noel, let me tell you, Glenn. I think I've seen <laughs> I enough. I a lot of those, too. Yeah, I was right there with you, Alex. Um, I, I didn't feel like she played very well. I know. That was the crazy part. It was like, and she still won. I was like, how is she winning these matches? Yeah, yeah, because I've seen her play, you know, some when she got to the Wimbledon final. I mean, she was playing unbelievably great tennis, and I, I don't think she's taking advantage of, of, of the the net game, the feel for the ball that she has. Um, at least I didn't see that from her um, in, in the matches that I watched. Um, but yeah, she, it's it's always. She's a person that I would never miss a match of hers just because you never know what's going to happen, especially, you know, from her. So um, I do think she's matured unbelievably. I mean, she used to be really hot-headed and, uh, you know, a very difficult junior. And I think she's past that now, which is nice to see. Um, you know, the, the Alexa I knew before when she didn't serve it out, Five two was it in the, yeah. in the or five four I think or something yeah she definitely served four five four yeah I know but she was up and yeah. and just completely let that that yeah. slip away and then you know had to go to a tiebreaker and against Hamner and it's like the one I knew from juniors that once she blew that lead it would have been over mm-hmm. and and so you know it was great to see her. I mean, I love Sarah, and she's a tremendous fighter. But it was great to see Alexa just say, uh, "No, not not this time. I'm going to stick in here, and I'm going to do what I have to do." So um, to see that maturity from her uh, was really great. So um, you know, I think she's a huge ad for college tennis and in the Big Ten. And yeah, it's um, going to be fun to see her for the next uh, four or five months. I think Leahy Graham has been replaced by Hamner Noel on the yeah. rivalry power rankings here in the fall. And I think Contos <laughs> versus Kari Miller, Ohio State, Michigan, they've played like nine times in the first <laughs> year and a half of uh, Kari Miller's career. I think that one's on the short list as well. But I, I to end our uh, women's singles conversation, 
Sarah Hamner's freaking good. Like, we didn't get to see the All-American run, obviously, because no one could see it uh, unless you were there. But that was my first experience watching her play, and it was the tenacity in her first match. And I believe it was a win – or was it not the first match? Maybe it was this – oh, yeah, the first match. Who did she play? Martina – Tomase? She played, I think, Tomase of Tennessee. And she ends up winning – you know, she drops a set there. Uh, She ends up winning in three – and there was just a an anger to Hamner coming out in that third set where she's like, I cannot believe I just lost a set to you. Like, I, it's time for me to crush you. And she did. And then I think she played Selma Ewing in that second round. And it was a come from behind three set victory and just the way she kept swinging. But then, you know, again, the ability to land those shots with depths in the outer third of the court with consistency. She just plays at the speed where it's just very, very clear she is as good as anyone, any opponent she faces. And... You know, I think it was the extracurricular against Noel that kind of lost Hamner that match and falling behind as many times as she did and just, you know, the momentum swings to take that lead in the third 6-5 and, you know, again, played that sort of... You saw the unforced errors pile up in the tiebreaker. I'm a fan of Hamner. I think it's the real deal. I think she will be a top 10 presence all year long, even when we get the Navarro and Stearns back. What do you think? Yeah, I like Sarah too. I... I she's really tough and she it's just you know when you see how much she cares that it it just really um makes you want to root for her to win all of her matches because she she obviously really really wants to win and to play her best and in some cases in college that's kind of refreshing because even in it especially in the individual events of it i expect everybody will kind of get onto that bandwagon once uh, the dual matches start but she's got that quality where she's just so competitive and and so tough and just not buying the excuses um mm-hmm. that you can tell yourself that you know yeah i think she's she's going to be great and um i'm i'm really excited to see you know how she does Mm-hmm. If she plays at the top of the lineup, which I assume she will, um, how she does in that situation. Yeah, no. There's absolutely. a lot of good players out there in college, so oh, she's not going to win every match. <laughs> no, it's it's crazy. It's just like, again, yeah, up and down the board. It's like, what is Arena Contos going to be ranked? And it's like 12th. And it's like, does 12th feel a little low given the fall she's had? And it's like, yes, but at the same time, Trust me, there are 11 others who, when you see the names lined up, you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, 12th feels about right, and I think you can say that about so many. Uh, Again, that was the women's singles action. Quickly on the doubles, I think Startup Seva and Sassan Sky of Old Dominion are legit, and to go back-to-back finals, All-American and the National Fall Championship speaks to that fact. That said, I don't know what clicked for Elizabeth Scotty, but something clicked. And it's just like the confidence and the freedom. I think her and Fiona Crawley are way better than her and McKenna Jones. And I know like they're the NCAA doubles champions, but I still am not sure how they won that title. I don't think they're (laughs) sure how they won that title. Um, Scotty and Crawley, that's a number one doubles duo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And credit for them getting seated and everything as well because Crawley hasn't been playing a lot of doubles. So it it certainly – 
you know, I, I don't know if that's the biggest compliment for, for Scotty, but I, I, if I were her, I'd take that, you know, just <laughs> saying, well, yeah, I'm the NCAA champion. So whoever plays with me, I'm going to be one of the top four seeds in, in a major, of course. And the best part so, is that's how Scotty would say it too. She'd be like, yeah, like, sure. We should be the four seeds. Why not? Yeah. No, put us there. We've earned it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. They're going to be, yeah, formidable for sure. So I I do think there's a lot of other good doubles teams that are going to be out there. Um, I'm I'm a huge Chloe Beck fan, and I I think her doubles is is about is some of the best that I saw in junior tennis. She and Navarro were just so so good together, um, and and so I think if she gets a regular partner and and um, she she could definitely do some damage. Of course, Kylie Collins is is really really good um in doubles and you know there's there's a lot alicia bolton's a great doubles player so yeah there's a lot of of really good doubles players that that and i'm sure ones that i've that i'm that aren't american juniors that i'm kind of leaving off the list but um it it's going to be fun it always is and especially when you're playing that uh, one set no ad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Russian roulette, as I said at the top. No ad, biggest proponent. Uh, Colette Lewis. But... Yeah, every time you say John's the name of his blog, I'm like, oh, there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no ad, many problems. Many, many problems. Where to begin? Oh, I just did, by the way, a, a podcast with Peter Cobelt that'll come out today or tomorrow or whatever we're recording this monday november whatever eighth it is um and i sent him the clip beforehand of and i don't remember if it's yours or bobby's do you remember the shank serve he hit on the match point against marcos garon where it was because garon clinched it four three yeah and garon falls on his back and like Cobalt framed it so bad. And I don't remember if it was your video or Bobby's, but I sent it to him. And I was like, hey, here's what I'm going to ask you about. And he comes on the show and he's just like, oh, you ass. And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I know you'll enjoy that. Um, so, again, many a good moments. But, all right, with that said, let's flip gears, talk about the men's results. And with all due respect to the men, I just, as interesting as it was, no top 10 men there. Like, that's unequivocally a factor. Five were in Fayetteville, and a bunch were competing in uh, Ithaca as well. And shout out to Cannon Kingsley for making the final in Ithaca. Definitely a good usage of his time. Uh, that said, I'm not trying to take anything away from what August Holmgren accomplished because he goes final of the All-American. He wins the title here, comes back from a match point down. I still don't know if Ferry actually missed that backhand because I didn't, I couldn't tell on the stream. And that's where you're like, yeah, I would have liked to see that in person. But yeah, I mean, August Holmgren is a fifth year. He's a man amongst boys, literally. And I think you saw that this fall, just to serve the forehand. He is that good. He's a top 10 guy, Colette. Yeah, he is for sure. Um, and I think that it, it's great because I, I, I heard that conversation that you had or thought about how great the sophomore class is. Mm-hmm. It, it's great to have fifth years that, that can say, no, this this is tennis too, and I can play as well, and it's not going to be – there's something to be said for experience and for, for just, you know – the age and the maturity and the physical part of being 23 or whatever it is. So I think that's good for college tennis um, to have that because 
um, you get that maybe in the 14s when there are kids that are, you know, big and strong and then other kids that really haven't gone through puberty yet. But you don't really get that much, you know, in the in the 18s. Most kids are pretty mature by then. But then there's another step. And I, I think a home grin is the one that's that's kind of showing these guys what that is. Now, that said, he lost to Ben Shelton, who wasn't, you know, at the All-American, sure. who wasn't there. So Ben just turned 19. And so anyway, I think we missed Ben Shelton. And, and a question that I wanted to ask you, Alex, is did you see someone um, – from all the streams you watched, I know you weren't there, but you watched a lot of matches more than I did um, to comment on them that got a lot of free points on their serve because that was something I was not seeing. That's such an excellent, such a great observation. He was the one. Holmgren was the guy who was able to do it. And you look across the board, you're absolutely right. I think what was so interesting is the play style so many of these guys played because you think about the serve and forehand combos. A guy like Cannon Kingsley is off, you know, playing the pros this week or uh, some of the other, you know, Andre, uh, Andre, sorry, Adrian Boyten, he's off playing the pros this week. And so you're right. Holmgren was the only guy I thought was dominating on serve. Votzel plays aggressive for Ohio State. There's no doubt about that. And how fascinating it was to see 2019 fall national opponents, Mate Votzel, Robbie Cash, teaming up to win the title here this year. But no, like when I think Stefan Dostinik, I don't think big serve and just overwhelms you with that. I think a guy who overwhelms you from the baseline with that sort of power. And when you look at Clement Chidek of Washington, who like – by the way, technically part of that sophomore class, I know he used a year of eligibility in France, but that doesn't count in my book. Um, like between him, I'm glad you bring that up because like him, I mean, I, I, the short list is like him, Monday, Strom, Von der Schulenberg, Montez, Rodesh, Tracy, and uh, Micah Braswell, and just like that, Fairy, Arthur Ferry and Boyer. And by the way, I was not the biggest believer in Arthur Ferry. Like I just. I know he went 13-3 and last year in singles, and he definitely got better over the course of the year, but I just don't think he was comfortable at all during his first season of college, and how could he be? There was no fall. Stanford got started six weeks later than everyone else, and they were on lockdown the entire time. To see this sort of freedom from Arthur Ferry, I think what stood out to me, what you're right, there wasn't the serving. It was the athleticism of so many of those guys. Like, again, for Shedek and uh, for uh, Arthur Ferry. Arthur Ferry's 5'9". And, like, does he lack speed, power, or strength? I don't think so. Like, he was as athletic as anyone in the draw. It was that to me the athleticism was what stood out to me i would say more than the serves or the forehands except for the ball of stefan dostinik which i will continue to ride with until the end as being as good as anyone in college <laughs> i just i that just seems something that, that i missed and maybe it's because mm-hmm. i'm used to it being this tournament being indoors and you see you just see and i just come from the indoor you know at, at midland that even some of the women, you know, had some pretty good pop on those and you could hear it. And I, I just didn't, I know San Diego, that Barnes doesn't have the fastest courts or anything like that. But to me, it just, it didn't seem like, like there was enough 
um, big serving going on. I, I guess I'm kind of, I mean, I love the athleticism and the longer points and all that kind of stuff, but I like to see, um, well, the JJ Wolf, okay, here's three aces in a game or whatever it is, you know, to me, you know, that's, Part or the, of really the will, like this, the Will Blumberg serve plus forehand, where you're just like, "Yep, I've seen that on the pros before." Right, exactly, and and I'm just, I just didn't see much of that, you know. This homegrown, you know, as you said, some of that, but um, I that was kind of what I felt was missing, and of course that Ben Shelton has that as well. So I do, I do think the fact that he wasn't there, you know kind of was a problem a little mm-hmm. bit. No, I mean, I, you know, I you can him. only play who's there and yeah. whatever. Well, but. Baylor had a scrimmage at the Fayetteville 15K, so they couldn't make it. You know, they had yeah. to all go be in <laughs> that main draw, and so sorry. But, no, you're right. Like, Kotzen, who made the semifinals of the Constellation, he's not a serve bot sort of thinking uh, sort of guy, or even Pietro Fellin of Pepperdine. Like, Diallo sort of, I guess you would say for Kentucky, but – him and Holmgren, and I guess Mason Byler of Oklahoma, but like respectfully, now we're on the margins here. Um, yeah, that you're right. The serving did not stand out, and part of that is the Barnes Tennis Center. Those courts are slow; like they are very, very slow. Um, but no, you're right. I, I mean, other than Holmgren and Ferry, I, I mean, all the semi. I thought JJ Tracy. Like, what does Ohio State do with their lineup? I, like, I think Ty Tucker. We have a conspiracy theory that. Uh, you know, the reason Ben Shelton didn't play the I did I te- I might have texted you this already, but the reason Ben didn't play the uh fall nationals because him and Brian had a meeting. Brian, Brian was like, Look, Ben, if I if you play this event, you're gonna win it, and after you win it, I can't play you at three singles anymore. So, like, <laughs> you just you can't play this event, okay? Like, you're gonna have to sit this one out. And Ben was like, Yeah, okay, that's fine, I'm gonna go play a futures then instead if that works for you. Um, <laughs> I think we're at that point with J.J. Tracy where it's just like, I don't know how you play him lower than top three because like Cannon, Votzel, Tracy. That's it. Like those are your top three and that's with a lineup with Van Emberg and Trotter and all these guys. Ohio State's back. You know, they're very, very good this year. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're going to be – I hate to say it, Alex, but they're kind of the prohibitive (laughs) favorites in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, you're offending Harry Jaden. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, which I still owe. He sent me some Michigan State gear. I have to do a video in it. Um, I mean, whatever. It's Believe me, I've, I've worn worse. Uh, I'll tell you my Halloween costume when we're done recording. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, you're right. That I don't know. I'm, I'm so fascinated to see because usually coming out of a fall, you're like, here's our number one guy. Here's the guy we know is the best player in college tennis. And I think last year, just by benefit of the doubt, it was Will. Um, you know, the year before that, it might have been Will too. Uh, the year before that, it was Petros because he was the NCAA champ and you just kind of knew it. And, you know, going to 2018, that was probably the last time when we weren't 100% sure who the guy was. And like... Riffis is your defending NCAA champion. He may not even be the best player on his roster. Like with Duarte, with Ben, all of the talent they have. And Cannon's exceptional. What Elliott did last year, if he's able to replicate even 90% of that, he's in the conversation. And just, you know, obviously what August has done this fall. And let's not forget, Ferry may still be playing two behind Geller over at Stanford. And just, I'm not sure who the guy is going into this season. Do you have one player who you're like, this is my favorite to win NCAA tournament? I can't say there is. No, I don't. I don't think there is. I I, I think we've got too, way too much tennis yet 
you know, to play. I, a lot of people, a lot of got like Draxel not playing at all. Oh, that's another um, good one. Boy Tan, obviously, is another one. Yeah. Hijikata, if yeah. he comes back. I mean, there are so, so many good players that we're not even sure whether they're going to be playing or not. But, um, could be somebody else too that that didn't play the regionals or well you mentioned the Tennessee guys that that um you know just weren't available there I mean there's a lot of question marks still out there I I still think you know based on what Ben Shelton's done that that he's he's probably you know the front runner right now but he's young um, and there's just so much more time to go in this season. So. And that's, by the way, with that thought, that's why you play the platoon system. Don't let any of those guys play number one singles for the whole year. Rest them all. Vale, Shelton, Riffis, right. just go rotation, 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 and then every so often just say, hey, the guy playing three has to lose. Just like, okay, we'll be well, fine. Yeah, I remember when, when Ohio State had uh, Konyako, Kurnagi, yep. and... Um, Ma- and Monarchy, maybe? Monarchy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just basically, those were three number ones that they just, you know, kind of played wherever. I mean, there was no question that, that they they all three were, I mean, Kronagi and Konyako played in the indoor final. So, <laughs> I, there, it, Monarchy, I think, either one, did he win the indoor or played in the final? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, they were always number one players it's just that you know they can't all play number one and I know everybody always talks about Ty's lineup you know shenanigans and all that kind of stuff but that was legit there was just no way that 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 they didn't have three they had three number one players that they had to play somebody had to play three Mm -hmm. yeah no uh, and it feels like that's the crazy thing is Florida's not the only school you say that about. All right. of these schools this year, and that's why, again, it just feels like we, there's so little we know right now, even though we know so much about the players on the top team. By the way, do you ever – did I – I don't know if I read – I don't think you re- wrote a response on this. What are your thoughts, Bicknell, of Tennessee? I'm fascinated to hear what you have to say. Oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, just from a tennis standpoint, again, from the tennis standpoint, because we don't have to talk about the extra stuff. I think, I think he makes them better. Um, I don't think he's quite as good as all the hype for this um, transfer. Sure. I think that was related more to the circumstances, to the choice of Tennessee, than it was to actually how much um, he's go- how much better he's going to make them. I mean, he will make them better. He's he's a very very good player. I just don't think it was kind of worthwhile <laughs> yeah, all to make it. that big of a deal out of yeah, it. Yeah, fair. Uh, here's the thing. He's the sixth guy. It's just like now everything, because their question was who was six singles. It's like now you know you're six, if healthy. Walton, Monday, Hud, Mitsui, Bicknell, uh, and Prada. And it's like we've got six. And it's just like now if Walton gets healthy or Walner jumps up or, you know, one of the freshmen hit other than Mitsui, like now you're seven deep. And that's – I think that's the scary part is like they – you know, you lose a Luca Wiendemann and you lose a Giles Hussey and you replace them with Hud and Bicknell. You're like, OK, we're still fine. Like we, right. we did it. And so that's – I think that's the thing is he's like that's that's the swing player for them. Right. Um, but yeah, it's – 
I mean, the transfer, we have free agency now in college tennis. Take your yes. pick. Like, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's fun for me. I don't know. Coaches perhaps suggest otherwise. All that said, we've gone super overtime here. Final question, most important question, why I brought you on the show today. Is Stefan Kosselov back? Can we can we decree it officially? By the way, uh, we could have done another ten minutes on Blumberg winning four doubles titles in his first right. like five events, and you know right. top two hundred already in doubles was great to hear from him yesterday. Though it'd be like no, it would be silly for me to not continue to pursue singles as well. And I'm telling you, Clutty looks trimmed down. He's he's slim. Like he looked this, that's 2018 skinny will where you're just like oh man you should go pro right now. Um, but I mean Stefan Kozlov wins. Columbus, finals, Vegas, wins Charlottesville, probably going to win the U.S. Open Wildcard Challenge at this point. And you look in the live rankings for Kozlov, I believe he's back inside. I want to I want to check this here, but I believe he's back inside the top 200 and, in fact, number 189. I mean, 2015, you'd have said, oh, it's probably Tiafo versus Kozlov in the Vienna final not the champagne or at least that's what i would have said instead of charlottesville but given where he was the past two two and a half seasons he's back he is back and it's great to see because i have to say even as recently as this summer i was just like is it gonna happen for him or not you know it would it was just looking like he was gonna be well the philip pelavo um you know he he was one Can of the I best. just say, I apologize for cutting you off. There's three people who would make a Philip Pelowo reference. And I'm just like, yes, you beat four-time Junior Slam finalist, won the last two Philip Pelowo? Of course. That's what he was in jeopardy of becoming. Right. Well, it, and maybe not quite, but yeah. yeah, for sure. And so I just constant, still playing, still out there, still grinding away. But um, you know, not not getting the big wins, not not doing well at challengers, not able to put together four, three or four wins in a tournament, and I was really starting to despair about about him. You know, I I, and then all of a sudden, you know, as Mike Cation kept saying. Uh, he's 23 years old, and you're like, 23? I have been <laughs> following him since he was eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> it has been that long, and yet, you know, 15 years later, he's only 23. So, um, yeah, it's great to see, and I, I hope uh, he keeps right on going and, and um, you know, gets into – Boy, it has got had to been hard for him to see all of these guys, you know, Tiafo and Fritz and Opelka and and Paul, you know, just getting up there, staying up there, and him him struggling so much and not yet getting to the top 100. That that um, you know, this has got to feel great for him, and and I'm really really hopeful that. Um, that the season doesn't end for him, you know, for a while yet because he's built such a, you know, his confidence has got to be high and it's just great to see him play so well. I mean, he's playing outstanding. At least he did in Charlottesville. Didn't see any of Las Vegas, but (laughs) Charlottesville was good. Yeah, He's serving lights out and that was never the case for Stefan Kozlov. And to me, that's like, 
that's the development where it's, oh my – well, if you can win free points on serve, the tennis part has never been an issue for you. Like once you – once the point gets started – you know, again, it's not the most athletic-looking human in the world, but if, from a field perspective, reading the game perspective, the slices, the drop shots, the angles—you name it, Stefan Kozlov can do it. He was all—he was Daniil Medvedev before Daniil Medvedev, and it's just like—it's <laughs> it, it, so fascinating because for Kozlov, the peers were actually never the guys his own age. His peers were Mitchell Kruger and Bjorn Fortangelo and Noah Rubin, who he was competing with when he was 13, 14, 15 years old for ISC titles and Easter Bowl titles and Grand Junior Grand Slam titles. And, you know, then we hit 2015, 20, you know, 14, 15 range, 16, and Paul catches up. Fritz catches up. Opelka catches up. Obviously, Francis is right there with him, and he and Francis have always been bonded. And so, you know, that's a, that's a different story. You know, that their relationship is kind of its own thing. Um, but it was fascinating to see him take lumps the way Fortangelo took lumps, the way Kruger took lumps. Like the guys of his cohort, he similarly struggled early on. The difference is he was still 18. He was still 19, and we talk yeah. about he's 23 years old. Well, he's only 23 years old, and it's just like, you know, from a physicality standpoint, and that was always uh, low-hanging fruit for him to get better at, and it seems like he has gotten fitter and thinner and just, again, stronger as well. And then again, the serve was always a missing piece, and it's you're not going to read six months and say it's solved, but it's a lot closer than it was, you know, even dating back 2015, 16, and... That's why it's so exciting is this version of Kozlov actually looks better than the one we saw. And, I, you know, again, I think he was the same player from 12 to 15, the greatest 12-year-old ever, and that, that lasted for a little bit. Then there was an adjustment phase. He took some lumps. You know, people forget he beat Tsitsipas in that Junior Orange Bowl final. Not zoo tennis readers, but other people would forget. <laughs> um, but now it's just like, Okay, he's actually gotten better. Like he is – this is a different Stefan Kozlov and I think that's what's – when I say he's back, it's back and better and I think that's what's so exciting. Yeah, it is. It really is. I'm I'm really, really excited for him and I think he and J.J. Wolf are, are a very fascinating rivalry in contrast and styles and everything and I hope we see them play a lot. Another guy <laughs> who's not – it was was the 15 final for the 16s Kipson versus Wolf. Or something like that. It would have been right around then, right? Because Kipson, I'm just sure. Kipson, in, this, in the Kalamazoo 16. Oh, because who, who did the 16s final? Did Kipson win the 16s though too? Yeah, he beat Rozart. Rozart, that's who it was. You're right. You're right. It was Rozart. But then I think Wolf was making his big, big push that year. I think he would have been highly seated. Like that second year um, of 16s was when JJ started to make his move. Yeah. Um, anyways, the point is, it's just funny that like JJ and Kipson were playing in the 16s. Kozlov was winning the 18s, and now we're talking about the Kozlov Wolf rivalry, and it makes sense. It's like <laughs> we've come full circle, but I've gone far over time here. So this is where we will leave things. And I know you've got a really fun piece coming up, I believe, on Katherine Harrison. I don't know. If, can okay. I say that? Do I have to cut that? Uh, I'll no, leave it you up to you. That. Okay. So uh, I know that's coming up. Also, 20 aces. I think I'm finally starting to influence you. When I saw 20, like I know that's very self-centered, but I saw you listed 20 and I was like, I think I'm wearing her down. Where she's like, well, I got to mention this and I got to throw this in there and, <laughs> you know – throw this one in there as well but uh 20 aces of course you can read glutz aces each and every month on tennisrecruiting.net zoo tennis blog for all the daily updates any travel plans for the end of the year 
Uh, yeah, we'll be at Eddie Her Orange Bowl, Junior Orange Bowl. So, wow, we're getting right back on it. So, You're ready for the yeah. Florida track? Yeah, ready for the Florida track. A lot of things to do yet here at home to get ready. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about being back in Florida again. So um, it should be fun. Do the hats get polished more or the camera lenses? What, what's more important? <laughs> uh, but we can leave that there, Colette. You are the greatest. Thank you so much for taking the time. Be safe. Be healthy. We'll chat more soon. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with the greatest of all time, Colette Lewis. A thank you to her as always for taking the time to chat. I promised 40 minutes. We go over an hour. That's just a testament again to the joy I have. Whatever we have the chance to get her on the show, sincerely, if you are not reading Colette Lewis, you are not doing tennis fandom right. And I imagine most of you who listen to this podcast do read her day in, day out, but the best in the business at covering all levels of tennis, how they all intersect with one another always enjoy getting the chance to pick her brain and obviously explore the wisdom she has accumulated throughout the greatest of all time in tennis journalism careers of course this is not the only podcast though we are having here on these channels of late if you want to hear the biggest updates on the challenger level hop on over to monday's episode damien kust and yakababro breaking down all of the action i talk all things Djokovic. go on a long expose on kozlov as well and so much more over on the mini break podcast feed and then again as I mentioned at the top, Peter Kobelt joining me early in the week here on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but a lot of fun content coming down the road on that channel. So be on the lookout for all of our podcasts. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. If you want to message me directly, excuse me, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out of course all of our content available at our website crackrackets.com but with that said for the goat colette lewis our super producers fligner and westoff and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot and we'll see you all next time thanks everyone When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.